you are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, October 21st. We are smack dab in the middle of homecoming at home. You'll recall a few weeks ago, we had some of the organizers join us to describe what it takes to turn homecoming into a virtual event. Visit homecoming.ucsd.edu for all the info you need on Homecoming 2020. Also, we've got 10 days left in National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Visit cybersecurity.ucsd.edu for a rundown of the remaining events and activities. Finally, tomorrow, October 22nd at 3 p.m., is the next Staff Town Hall. For registration information, visit returntolearn.ucsd.edu and look in the About dropdown. On to our feature programming. We caught up with Director of Workplace Technology Services, Brett Pollock, to get some updates on the tech contributions to Return to Learn, as well as some general updates from WTS. This is Mark Herzberger. Today I'm joined by Brett Pollock, who's our Director of Workplace Technology Services. Brett, welcome back to the pod. How are you? Hey, Mark. Uh, doing pretty good. Thanks very much. Uh, good to be back. Good. And uh, how has your uh, continued work from home experience been uh, since, since you last visited us? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. You know, just uh, personally, the kids are kind of in a mixed bag right now. Some are in a remote school situation and our elementary school kids are now back at school part time taking classes. So definitely a lot of shuffling going on in terms of getting everyone where they need to go bandwidth considerations at home and whatnot. So I think we're in a good spot right now. But yeah, everything is, is kind of been thrown in for a loop as it is for everybody. But I feel like we're in a good spot now. We could do maybe a whole podcast on the elementary school uh, testing or not compared to what we're going to talk about UC San Diego. But we'll seriously. save that. Save that. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so we do want to get some updates. You are very close to uh, you know, some of the tech contributions to the Return to Learn program. And we're going to find out some of the general updates from the WTS uh, domain. So let's start on the return to learn front. You know, what are, what are some of the tech contributions that from your point of view, uh, you're most proud of or that have been most impactful to the program? Yeah, I mean, first off, I really want to say uh, I'm impressed with how UC San Diego has kind of handled getting students back to campus, you know, here for the fall quarter in a very organized way. You know, when San Diego State started bringing students back, they had to kind of change course and then, you know, all of a sudden shift to go remote due to students testing positive for covid so, you know, kind of some good lessons learned there. And we knew kind of the, the eyes of San Diego and San Diego County would kind of be on us to see kind of how we're handling our reopening. So, you know, being in the trenches and then seeing how kind of thorough our leadership was in the planning aspect of bringing students back kind of in these elongated waves, um, you know, testing students as soon as they arrived on campus, you know, mandating testing every two weeks there definitely was kind of a top-down plan put in place, you know, way ahead of time. And I suspect maybe kind of that organized activity didn't happen uh, maybe in other universities. 
So, you know, I thought that was definitely a big advantage uh, on our side, seeing that, you know, over the course of a week and a half, you know, we're moving in 6,000 students into student housing. And during that time, we only had 10 positive cases. So with our low positivity rate, it was like 0.17% or something like that. And looking at kind of just general positivity rates for San Diego County overall, it's close to 3% right now. So we definitely kind of set like a positive bar for us and put us in a good position as students were kind of moving back in. Yeah, I would say just in terms of, you had mentioned like the ITS contribution. So, you know, during the return to learn, you know, the summer pilot, we administered, you know, kind of tests using the UCSD mobile app. And so students would log in, uh, scan a test kit, and that would associate their identity with that particular test. So we've kind of commandeered the Price Center ballroom and really transformed it into kind of a COVID testing center. And then where ITS fits in, you know, we're again using the mobile app to associate the students uh, logging in and scanning the test kit with their identity. And, you know, the fact that we're now, you know, beginning last week, testing between 700 and 900 students per day, seven days a week, it's, it's definitely been a huge lift. And the operations just and procedures around that have been amazing. And, you know, with the test results turning around within a 24-hour period, it's definitely become kind of a, a well-oiled machine as we fine-tune kind of the operation. So it's been neat to be a part of. And one of the newer technologies, if you will, to come online is the Notify system. How's that been going? Yeah, so trying to get adoption up, you know, for our California Notify app, COVID Notify. And UCSD is part of a pilot for the state of California implementing this notification technology that was co-developed by Google and Apple. And so the adoption uh, has been going very well. I've probably seen a few different uh, marketing kind of slants uh, to get people to you know, download and, and enable the notification functionality on their mobile apps. But the ideas behind it, you know, we'll be able to assist with contact tracing efforts uh, if, in fact, folks do test positive in kind of the automation of notifying anyone that someone has been around that does test positive for COVID. So it's, it's definitely been, I think, a, a good tool you know, that thankfully we haven't had to use too much because our, our positivity rate has been low, but it's been fun to be a part of, you know, knowing that this is probably going to go statewide uh, within the matter of months. And of the, you know, technological innovations that have been put in place to effectuate return to learn, which of those uh, might you see having uh, some degree of permanence or, you know, really a long-term usage beyond the hopeful end of COVID-19? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely um, a question that we kind of come up with is, you know, a lot of this, hopefully this work isn't throwaway, right? But then hopefully we get to the point where when a vaccine comes into play and we have some kind of herd immunity, you know, we won't have to go through the same procedures that we've had to go through in order to you know, make sure that we have a, a, you know, a safer campus to be a part of. But, uh, you know, in terms of the, the permanence, uh, you know, things that'll persist over time, you know, we're looking at, you know, implementing some additional functionality, getting, you know, broader adoption of the mo- mobile app. And if we have broader adoption, we've got better usage and we can connect students better. We can enhance functionality in terms of just, you know, basic features like class scheduling, re-enabling some of the features that, you know, we kind of lost for a bit of time as we we're kind of focusing on, you know, the COVID scanning and testing process, you know, putting things back in, in terms of shuttles and parking and whatnot, and really just, you know, focusing on the features in the mobile app that can bring, you know, broad benefit to different user populations. 
in addition to enhancing uh, features for staff and whatnot within the mobile environment as well. So, I mean, the mobile, I think part of it and the focus around our student developers that have contributed quite a bit to it, I think is going to be kind of the benefit that we're going to come out of this, you know, six months down the line. And is there anything else about uh, return to learn you'd like to share or that you think our listeners need to know? I think just overall, it's it's been, you know, a very well-run you know, process and, you know, everything from housing and dining to the operations around the testing, you know, making sure that we have, you know, proper distancing and then student health ambassadors kind of reminding uh, our students about, you know, what they should and shouldn't be doing. I think that definitely has gone a long way in making sure that we have a safer campus. Okay. All right. Why don't we shift to some other um, updates from the WTS realm since March. Um, So something that comes to mind for me is uh, Zoom, and I'm sure there's graphs that show just skyrocketing usage (laughs) since March. So uh, what is your take on both Zoom usage and adoption these last seven months or so? Yeah, certainly we definitely have kept an eye on it. And uh, just some kind of quick stats. Uh, In February, we went from 9,000 Zoom meetings in the month of February uh, in the campus instance of Zoom to 61,000 in the month of March. And then we peaked in May with uh, 206,000 Zoom meetings in one month. So yeah, that definitely has been a huge shift. It's been a tool that folks have, you know, obviously gravitated towards to ensure that they can, you know, continue to meet with others in this kind of remote situation. In terms of the support, prior to COVID, Gabe Edwards on our team uh, as the service owner was kind of a one-man show and did much of the support himself, you know, with a couple others uh, and the assistance on the service desk. But because we've turned Zoom support on its head, we've really had to spread out the support amongst multiple teams in IT. Mm -hmm. Um, The educational technology services team has really stepped up to kind of own the faculty support for Zoom in the teaching and learning space. The service desk has taken on additional tier one support responsibilities for staff. And our newly formed software asset management team has kind of stepped up on the back end to handle, you know, the license procurement for large meetings and webinars and those kinds of things. The thing we're also finding is Zoom as a company is going through a lot of growing pains as well still. So their turnaround time on a lot of this is not kind of what we would like. So I definitely appreciate, you know, our clients' patience on, you know, getting some of our things handled. But the good news is that we've created kind of a blanket PO behind the scenes now. So we're able to streamline a lot of the license procurement acquisition uh, process. Definitely, you know, not stopping here. More changes are coming on the Zoom support side, you know, just to make things more efficient. But, you know, we also realize this is a strategic communication tool for the campus. So we're doing what we can to really kind of bolster support by ITS for Zoom. And you know, switching topics here a little with, with all of the big ESR rollouts in 2020, pretty much all of them were accompanied by some sort of uh, so-called activity hub. So, you know, activity hub, what is an activity hub? Why is it important? Why is it important? And, and what role uh, do they play? Yeah, uh, activity hubs, it's definitely a paradigm shift for the campus, I would say. You know, on one hand, we've got a tremendously powerful analytical platform with this new HANA environment. And on the other hand, uh, we're going from, you know, a model where ITS was kind of a one-stop shop from everything from data sourcing to report building to ITS kind of now being a facilitator and trainer to try to empower the campus to do, you know, report development and data exploration via, you know, our supported analytical tools uh, with Cognos and Tableau. So it's, it is a huge change. And we've definitely gone through some 
growing pains along the way. You know, part of the challenge is that as enterprise systems get replaced, the analytics and reports kind of follow that data flow. So there is definitely some latency between kind of the replumbing and recreating reports that folks have used in the past. And the BIA team is working nights and weekends to kind of put these pieces back together as quickly as they can. And on top of that, we've tasked them to assist with return to learn activities, which typically kind of drop without any warning. So I definitely appreciate our clients having patience on this. And we've definitely seen some units really kind of take to this new model in the midst of all this, you know, especially in the research domain, you know, definitely a lot of uh, folks out there that are, you know, handling their own reporting, creating uh, some really neat analytics. Uh, the employee domain is maturing now with UC Path. The student domain is getting some nice enhancements, sourcing Canvas data now and combining that with our student demographic data to provide kind of you know, rich analysis capabilities. So yeah, I think it's it's coming together. It's definitely going to take some time. And another new product that's come online uh, recently, I wanted to get your take on, would be MS Teams. What is its role and, and what is the, the roadmap there that you see? Yeah, uh, I have to say, I've, I really like using Teams, surprisingly. Uh, it's a nice collaboration tool with uh, with some new features coming out you know, all the time. But, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person really that runs any collaboration tool. So, you know, I make sure that I'm available on Slack, Teams, you know, Google Meet, plain old email or you know, SMS texting and everything. But in terms of, of Teams, Microsoft has some best practices on how Teams, you know, should be set up for our departments. And we're starting to work with our supported units on establishing, establishing some of those. But we're definitely, uh, we're not being prescriptive with Teams I think, you know, what we found is kind of the power is in the grassroots nature of, you know, kind of teams being set up, setting up chats on the fly. And the fact that both health and campus are using teams, uh, I found is kind of helped bridge the collaboration gap. And, uh, and yet we are actually working together now to federate our teams instances to make it kind of even more seamless. So definitely some big advantages there. Yeah, I personally have enjoyed with teams that I can uh, track down more non-IT services people that just mm-hmm. have Teams or even if they were using the, what's the legacy one? The, oh, anyway. Skype for Business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. I send a message and uh, people reply, uh, which right. has been really great for me. <laughs> That's what it's okay. about. Um, yeah, one other thing I wanted to touch on, you know, ServiceNow has gone through several, um, you know, updates and enhancements and the ESR projects also are using that from the go. So, you know, what are some updates on ServiceNow and what can we look forward to with that platform? Yeah, um, campus units now coming onto ServiceNow to kind of really take advantage of, you know, just case management to track their work, you know, going from, you know, emails back and forth to, you know, having a system like ServiceNow where, you know, you could really track things and then on the back end, you know, look at uh, developing analytics so that, you know, focusing on turnaround time, service levels and whatnot. As you know, at ITS, we've really been focusing on kind of our service level agreements and SLAs that we've attached to our ServiceNow cases. You know, we post metrics that are on the our ITS Blink website about our adherence to those SLAs. And so like measuring things like time to resolution based on our categorization of cases you know, the metrics that we can create and some of the dashboards that the ServiceNow team has developed with some of our service owners have been really rich and meaningful as we really kind of focus on, you know, how best can we, you know, increase customer satisfaction. And then being able now to bring other units on board to 
assist them with developing some of these metrics, I think has created kind of a rich community of practice around, you know, case management, you know, as a, as a kind of an initial baseline. And then we can continue to kind of just mature this over time. So yeah, having a common case management platform, I think has been a real benefit for UCSD overall. And then, you know, creating on the front side, kind of a portal with knowledge-based articles and service catalogs, I think has really helped, you know, provide clarity around the types of services, different units and departments uh, provide to the campus. What are some of the most meaningful insights that the the graphs and so forth uh, have shown to your knowledge? Yeah, I I would say, you know, one of the things we're focusing on now is first contact resolution. So when someone submits a case or they pick up the phone and they call the service desk, are we able to satisfy their case at that time? And so, you know, that uh, will provide increased customer satisfaction because we're not, you know, passing tickets uh, between groups within ITS. If we could funnel the request based on the type of request it is directly to the person that can help that customer solve their problem, you know, that's really kind of the ideal so that we can get that turnaround time you know, down to the minimum. So that's just kind of one area of focus that we're, you know, kind of putting effort in right now. But yeah, there's definitely a whole host of dashboards that have kind of been developed and looking at how successful our hypercare has been as ESR projects have come online, I think was another big thing, you know, in terms of looking at, you know, all hands on deck and being able to look at case aging and things like that. So, you know, there definitely has been a whole host of things in different use cases that that we've done within the within the within the platform. So this will continue to evolve. And on the people side, if you will, of, of how to provide service, how how have like the service desk personnel and the field support personnel and those teams, you know, how have they, how have they responded to the big uh, shift to remote work, and how are they evolving? Actually, I was talking with Chuck Rose, our service desk manager, yesterday about this, and we kind of remarked you know, how surprised we were maybe at how easy of a transition it was for the service desk to go from completely on-premise at APNM, you know, to a completely remote situation, you know, primarily with uh, our student staff, you know, answering calls uh, for us. So, you know, prior to COVID, we shifted our call center software to a cloud-based solution using TalkDesk. And thank goodness we did that because otherwise we would have been tied to some on-premise uh, software that wouldn't have been able to easily transition into kind of this remote arrangement. Also, integrating TalkDesk into ServiceNow was definitely a big win. As um, you know, when agents pick up the the phone, it essentially creates a, a case within ServiceNow automatically. So, I think because of this investment, uh, technically we were all set to take calls really from anywhere. I think the most difficult part was ensuring that our new cohort of student staff uh, received kind of the proper training to provide kind of the great, you know, customer service that we expect our student uh, staff to, to provide. So, you know, shout out Taylor for doing a great job on creating a, a framework for that, for that training program. And the students that have come aboard this fall have really just been outstanding. So, so that's definitely been a big win. I think you also asked about field support and in kind of a similar vein, field support has adapted well to kind of troubleshooting and fixing issues using, you know, remote tools that we have so that folks can, log into our you know, customers' computers and see what they're seeing on their computer and kind of doing that you know, troubleshooting and fixing in, in real time remotely. Um, and you know, during the time that we have kept the hive open, uh, just in case staff need to pick up a computer 
uh, or have an issue that requires you know a technician to be kind of more hands-on. So that's definitely been something that I think is folks have seen as as an advantage. And uh, as we wind down, why don't I get just some reflections from you um, about the situation since March and going forward and, and your role, you know, you are the director of workplace technology services. So uh, right. in that vein, what did it take? Give us the short version of, of how to get, you mm-hmm. know, 30,000 or more people converted to online work several months ago. <laughs> I guess the short version is um, it's really just been incremental. The first phase really was to get uh, staff a laptop if they had a desktop, make sure they can get online at home, they can connect to the network, get their files. And I think we're kind of long past that now. And now we're just kind of focusing on refinements and optimization, you know, how staff can use our collaboration suites to work, you know, more effectively in this remote environment. Uh, We know we're going to be here for a while. And we're in the process of actually developing a webinar series that'll focus on you know, different aspects uh, of this. So stay tuned. Um, we'll definitely be marketing that, or at least you'll be helping us market that, Mark, <laughs> so that uh, you know, folks can take advantage of you know, the tools that we're offering. How do you think the workforce handled the transition? And then the parallel question is, how, how did our technology uh, handle <laughs> the transition? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think Zoom was certainly the most difficult part. You know, some of the things I explained a little bit earlier. Right. DocuSign has seen about a 500% increase since mm-hmm. COVID. So mm-hmm. it's great that people are taking advantage of our campus-wide license with DocuSign and being able to sign documents electronically. Qualtrics has had a huge uptick in use. It powers our daily symptom screening tool that we all fill out on a daily basis. So I think all in all, really, the tools have held up well. It's now just kind of being proactive really with our students and staff to make sure they're getting the most out of the tools that we have. Yeah, I guess it is a testament to the the vendors too. I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. a company like Zoom could have just crumbled under the weight of all these extra, you know, users coming on. Yeah, um, and it, they focused a lot on security uh, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, shoring up the security side of Zoom and not so much feature enhancements, but I think they've kind of got past most of that. Yeah. So we're starting to see some new features come out, you know, on a pretty regular basis with Zoom. What have you learned since March, whether it's about IT services or UC San Diego or, or anything else? I guess I've learned that UC San Diego has strong leadership at the top, you know, led by Pradeep and the cabinet. And I think that's one of the main reasons why our return to learn program has been, you know, so successful so far. We've had very good collaboration between health and the campus side. I think despite having very different cultures, uh, you know, how you run a hospital is going to be very different on how you run a campus. So I think, you know, taking that all into account, I think it's been a good learning experience and it's been great kind of working with so many different people during the stretch. Okay. And what has surprised you, positive or negative? You know, not surprising to me, I guess, is how much our staff within uh, workplace technology services has kind of come together to help one another. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's an, uh, a problem or say the service desk has kind of a case backlog reaching a certain threshold, you know, all hands will really kind of jump in to assist with, you know, triaging tickets, handling tickets if they know how to do it. So I definitely really appreciate the amazing team spirit. So uh, it does kind of surprise me that everyone is, you know, so willing to, to make sure that they're handling, you know, what's kind of the greatest need uh, within our department and within ITS. So, you know, I guess I'm also not surprised because uh, I know how great our, our staff are. And I do feel lucky to be working with, uh, you know, a great, a great group of people. So, so yeah, that, that part has been surprising and not surprising at the same time. 
Okay, Brett, I think that is a great spot to end on. We really appreciate your time uh, and your updates. Thanks a lot, Mark. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current 